Fortinbras, holding a weak supposal of our worth, or thinking, by our late dear brother's death, our state to be disjoint and out of frame, colleaged with the dream of his advantage, he hath not failed to pester us with message, importing the surrender of those lands lost by his father, with all bonds of law, to our most valiant brother. So much for him. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 4, Our Late Dear Brother's Death. The royal family tries to keep the news of Prince Robert's return under wraps as the palace prepares for a press conference to announce the results of the twins' paternity test. Liam reconnects with Robert, and Eleanor introduces her older brother to Jasper. Cyrus's ex-wife gives him a much-needed pep talk. Hmm... Something sounds different about this episode. Yeah, the sound quality is surprisingly consistent, <laughs> I assume, unless it's magically not. And maybe I'm interrupting you less. Oh, that, that seems unlikely. We'll see. I'm not highly motivated to do that. Uh, if you couldn't tell, this is the first ever episode of Stage of Fools where Zach and I are recording from the same room. Yeah, it's a milestone. <laughs> from even the same microphone, like we're... Sharing an ice cream float at the down at the soda shop. Sure. <laughs> exactly <laughs> as adorable as that. Anyway, we're here from my living room in Chicago. We just watched season three, episode four, and it was a really good one. It was a good episode for our first uh in person record. Yeah. Um and our first in person watch, to be fair. Um don't pull back the curtain too much. Too much. We uh, never talk about the show unless we're recording the podcast after all. Of course. All. <laughs> um, but, yes, I think it uh, assuaged some of our fears that the last two episodes kind of sort of riled up a little yeah. bit. Um, and got us back to feeling as as optimistic as, maybe not quite, but almost as optimistic as the premiere episode made us feel. I really liked this episode. Yeah, I thought it was a really strong one in terms of moving the plot forward, but having fun stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's just get into it. There's a lot to talk about, and it's actually not a slog this time, sure. which is always exciting. Uh, so I guess... I guess the episode starts immediately after the end of the previous episode with the most dramatic, over-edited reveal uh, of human history. Yes, that's true. And it's sort of a weirdly anticlimactic moment after the big artsy reveal of Robert that we had. Uh, Robert steps more into the light and he, does he address Eleanor? Maybe? I can't remember. He either just, Eleanor sees him and she faints. I think she might say his name. Yeah, something happens. They acknowledge each other. Eleanor faints and then Helena, you know, also having a moment of realization that Robert is back, he's not dead, also faints. And there's like 
a very dramatic but also poorly lit shot of the two women like collapse yeah. side by side on the floor. Looking more like they got drunk and passed out sure. than like they fainted. And it was very stage faint kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, whatever. It, it didn't, it wasn't super effective. Um, in fact, because this episode deals primarily with Robert, it's pro, it's pretty light on the subplots. I would say. Which I'm more than okay with. It was a relief to have uh, some respite from the Liam and Catherine stuff this episode. Obviously, there was some, but it was much briefer than we've had in the few previous episodes. And even though Jasper and Eleanor's relationship has been a lot better this season than it's been any previous season, I don't want to get overloaded with it because that's the surefire quickest way to make it, um, like, uncomfortable. You know, I'm not uncomfortable, kind of, like, for us to feel like it's being overdone. Without regards to what we did read about the next, next episode, which I'm just going to avoid, um, I don't think that that's going to be a major source of conflict for the season, which I'm perfectly I'm with. happy with. Yeah. Um, before I think they bring back any conflict to the Jasper and Eleanor storyline, they should establish it as a strong relationship, and then the conflict would resonate more. For instance, like, let's say... There was a relationship between, I don't know, like, one of the main characters and a woman who had dated one of his siblings. Like, if they had established that relationship for a while and it had existed and we could tell that it was a strong relationship, maybe once conflict was introduced, it would feel more real. Just as a hype, like, you know, sort of an example, a hypothetical. It would be a, definitely be a more, I, I see exactly what you're saying. You're saying it would be a more interesting storyline mm-hmm. if Liam had fallen for Jasper. And I agree with you. Oh, that's probably true too, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was kind of happy to have a respite from some of the romantic stuff, but it is present in this episode. Yeah. I, uh, cause Robert is back. He's back in the palace. Yes. That is what everything centers on. Mm-hmm. And, Everyone is obviously thrilled, overjoyed because well, Jasper, because, did I say Jasper? Because Robert is, as you know, Jesus Christ. Coming again. The second yeah. coming of Christ, resurrected from the dead. Yeah, they, but with a few notable exceptions sure. that I wanted to talk about. The first and foremost, and this is where I'm making the jump from the romantic plots, uh, is Liam who is so excited to see his brother, happily embraces him, and then literally as he is hugging him, we see over Robert's shoulder his face falling, and the show makes it extremely clear that he is not entirely thrilled his brother is back because he was fucking his girlfriend. As a matter of fact, he was fucking his girlfriend (laughs) earlier that morning when Jasper came in, interrupted the two of them post-coital. Kind of... Practically mid-coital. They yeah. They winding up for round two. That's probably true. Yeah. In between, let's say. Told him he had to go back to the palace. And the cuts, this is, a, I think, a reference to Shannon mentioned the first season. It It, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's not a matter of question. Right. The, I think the first episode when he first learns that Robert has died and his dad's standing by the window. It's a match to that where he runs in and sees Robert standing by the window yeah. to find he's still alive. But the way it's cut... Makes it look like he ran home all the way from Catherine's apartment, not really knowing what is going on prior to that. Yeah, it does make it seem like he ran all the way from the pub where she lives. Because um, it seems like she lives there, yes. according to some shots we see later in the episode. Uh, I really liked this otherwise, though, 
you know, we talk a lot about how the show makes great use of the locations that it has. It doesn't have very many, but everything in this palace that they use, they use to the fullest extent. So you have the great throne room that has sort of like a maze-like geometric pattern in the tile. We see a big wide shot, you know, of Liam running across it. It's got the beautiful oil paintings, the murals, all that jazz. Uh, and then, yeah, he runs into the office and Robert's standing there by the window, exactly how Simon was in the first episode. I thought this was a very effective callback if you're someone who is following the show closely. I can't imagine there's anyone out there who's following the show more closely than you and I, but I enjoyed it. They have had a lot of callbacks to season one this season in particular. This episode in particular, I yeah. would say. This episode, and also last episode with like the re- the very... There was a thrown off reference to like Liam and Robert playing darts that paid off. That was like from the first season yeah, last episode. Yeah. Like a reference in, I think the, the one where they go on the tropical vacation and, oh, A-Shot, who uh, we haven't talked about in a long time. A-Shock. A-Shock. Not yeah. A-Shot. He was a shot Shot-ed with an the, arrow yes. in the knee. <laughs> As one of the Mario brothers would say. And now since last season, Zach has seen the first season of Skins. Uh-huh. So now he has a better understanding of why I thought A-Shot was a cut-rate version of Anwar sure. from Skins. Sure. <laughs> uh, Anwar sticks with me a little more than, than A-Shot did, but I, for a Royals character, I still like A-Shot. Yeah, totally. I would welcome him or Gemma back. They were both very reliable sources of lighthearted moments of drama in the first season. I wouldn't bank on either of them. No. Gonna get no bank on back instead. I don't think they're coming back. Hey, no spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, we're about to get a major season one callback to a very minor detail we learned about Robert. But we have to save that for next episode. Yeah. And one other thing we should probably mention about Robert's immediate return is that uh, even before Liam sees him, um, when he is with his mother and Eleanor, drunk or high or delirious uh, Cyrus comes through. The only family member, obviously, who is not very excited about the news of Robert's return. And he hasn't been told the news. Right. This is the first time he's seeing Robert alive. And he He thinks he's a body devil. He does. Yeah. It takes him a moment to, to kind of, so sort of decide whether it really is Robert or not? No, this is what I love. So Cyrus walks in and sees Robert sitting there in the group hug that he demanded that his sister and mother have with him. Kind of understandable. Um, and Cyrus is like, oh, you've got a Robert one. Now, what are you going to do with that one? And then Robert says, hello, Uncle Cyrus. And... By saying that magical phrase that only Robert would know, Mm -hmm. Cyrus says, maybe you really are Robert. Yeah. Because Robert says, hello, Uncle Cyrus. In his fairness, he kind of squints at him for a second. (laughs) Uh, And then, just to be a dick in a Cyrus fashion, he's just like, well, your father's dead. he goes, daddy's dead. Then he says, discuss, and walks away. Alliteration! Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's an asshole way of putting it, but I mean It's Cyrus. It's in character. They continue to break the news to him in the least sensitive way. They send him to James, who gives him a folder that's basically like My Book Report How Ted <laughs> Killed Simon by James Hill. Miss Polanski's third grade. Yes. <laughs> and and a disc which he does notify him ahead of time has 
quote, graphic footage on it. Uh, literally footage of his father being stabbed to death. Yeah, it's... They could not have introduced this news to him in a less sensitive way, in my opinion. So, Robert is sad throughout this episode about his father's death, and everyone acts like it's a little bit... a little bit, um, strange of him at times, but really, he's having what the other characters are unfamiliar with, an appropriate emotional reaction to a serious event. And I do want to say again, like, in, in as much as it is an inappropriate way to break this news to him, for Cyrus to do it makes total sense. For Cyrus to deliver it that way. Everybody yeah. else, not so much. And of course, we want Cyrus to be a bad guy again, which is something that's really part of the crux of this episode. Sure. From then on, yeah, it is largely about rebuilding the relationships with his family and how they're going to reveal this information to the press at large. They decide to keep it a secret for basically a day because they already have this press conference set up to announce that the twins are biologically Simon's children are therefore legitimately in line for the throne. Mm-hmm. They don't make it super clear why they wanted to wait. I guess just because they wanted to do it in an official way and they needed time to figure out how they were going to put that statement together. Although, yeah. I mean, it's obviously good news. It's not like a scandal that they no. need to hide like previously. So, uh, yeah, uh, they're trying to keep it a secret. Uh, Cyrus's ex-wife, Veruca. Veruca Peppenwall. Poppenwall? Poppenwall. Poppenwall. Veruca Poppenwall comes in, and they don't say it immediately that she's Cyrus's ex-wife, but we immediately guessed that she was Mirabelle and Penelope's mother because she has red hair, and this is the sort of show where something like a character has red hair and other characters have had red hair means those characters are probably related. So, I mean... There have been a grand total of three characters on the show so far that have not had blonde or brunette hair, I think. So, it is fairly significant. Yeah. Uh, well, there's the gray hairs. We have our distinguished older white men. Oh, sure. A few gray hairs, right. James Hill and the like. Yes. King Simon. Uh, anyway, she shows up and she and Helena have sort of a mock confrontation in the opening foyer. I don't know what you call it in a pa- in a palace. <laughs> Probably not sure. a foyer. In one of the many great halls. Entry hall, maybe? Yeah, and it becomes clear they have sort of like a friendly relationship. Um, Helena's like, why didn't you tell us you were coming here? I might have been out. I'm so happy to see you. And it's like, oh, gags. Yeah. And they embrace because they're both like divas. Although I think it becomes clear later in the episode that they have sort of the kind of friendly where they scheme behind each other's back. I think that's pretty clear, yes. She uh, has... They're friends on the surface, but they're not afraid to screw each other over for political gain. Right. I think they both have ulterior motives, In or certainly Veruca has an ulterior motive. She, she claims that she's there, because she heard the big news, and after a moment of suspense, um, we realize the big news that she's referring to is Cyrus's cancer. So, basically, Veruca has come to gloat over Cyrus's cancer because the Royals is just that tasteful of a show. Yeah. Um, she promptly uh, makes her way to Cyrus's room where she finds him passed out on the hardwood floor in a robe. Kind of a theme for this episode. That's true. Both hardwood floors and robes. Yeah. And Cyrus, to be fair, both in this episode and the last episode, has been shown to be on, like, a heavy binge. Of various drugs and alcohol. He's feeling sorry for himself. Right. 
And Veruca basically starts berating him as characters yeah. named Veruca are wont to do. After she checks on... The first thing she does is check to see how many testicles he has. He appears to have two, but she knows that's not the case. Right. She compliments that one of... They went overzealous with the size of the replacement. Which... Having seen the size of the one that they removed, I can't even imagine what that would be. Like, that makes my gorge rise. Right. I don't know who, when, in a situation where you are getting a replacement for that sort of thing, who is, like, of the opinion that size is better anyways. Why would you want uneven ones? I don't know. But I guess if anybody's going to do that, maybe it's someone like Cyrus. But ultimately... <laughs> Let's move on from the testicles, right. please. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, she kind of finds him a bit pathetic and tells him that she, the real reason she apparently came back is because pretty soon one of her daughters will theoretically take the throne and she can return as the queen mother and sort of have an elevation in status and privilege and all these things that all these schemers in the show admire so greatly. And she wants to make sure her daughters are included in his will. I mean, she's That's very right, callow. Yeah. She makes it clear that she thinks he's about to die and that Penelope will then ascend the throne because I always forget that Penelope and Maribel aren't actually twins. They're right. just close in age sisters. Maybe Irish twins. They do have red hair after all. <laughs> that could be. Veruca in this episode, I would say, in some ways, acts almost as an audience surrogate. She encourages Cyrus to, like, seek power to get back to his villainous ways. She kind of berates him for feeling sorry for himself and is like, you're not, like, the person I knew. And also, stop whining and moaning about your true love. You only ever loved yourself. And it's like, yes, I was so happy and excited. Someone needed to tell this character to do this because he was losing having any purpose in the story without seeking power and being ambitious. Yeah, it was interesting because for all of the times that we've seen characters in the show just dramatically change who they are, and this is kind of a sticking point a couple times in this episode, I say, this is the most textual example of another character straight up saying, why are you an entirely different yes. character now? It was like the show was hanging a lantern on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was an episode where a few times I turned to Zach while we were watching it and said, it's like they listen to Stage of right. Fools. Now, don't get the wrong idea. We're not so up ourselves that we actually think... That that is the case. Um, but it's just, it was very, like, on the nose things that we have complained about were either addressed or corrected. And that's probably part of the reason why sure. we liked this episode so much. And, uh, not for nothing, this is the first, and I'm gonna go ahead and guess the last reference to Penelope and Maribel we're gonna see this season. It vaguely implies Maybe. that they're gallivanting about Europe with a bunch of Euro trash. But who knows? It's a kind of a weird bit of dialogue, because if you didn't yeah. already know that Cyrus has two adult daughters, you wouldn't understand what he and Veruca are talking about, because she doesn't say what she... She doesn't even say what she wants, and then Cyrus goes... The halfwits will be well taken care of. They'll be able to flit around to buy with the Euro trash from here to eternity. And we know, obviously, that those dimwits are Maribel right. and Penelope, their daughters, but we've never seen these two characters talk to each other before, and it's never really addressed that they have children, so it's kind of like, 
a weirdly deep cut moment, but right. this is typical of the Royals. Things that in any other show would be like, we need to telegraph this to the audience are understated and things that the audience should be able to understand in an understated way are intensely telegraphed. Uh, I feel like since we are talking about the Cyrus storyline and by far it's the most segregated. Yeah. Um, we should continue with that, but his, uh, his, his ex-wife attempts to kind of cement the idea of him continuing his ascent to power by having sex with him. She says it's the only way anything ever gets through to him. Yeah, she just reaches right inside that robe at crotch level. Yeah. Um, but he is still having issues with erectile dysfunction. And that's when, because again, he, this, this nonsense about the love of his life leaving him behind. That's my violet sound. Yeah. Um, we kind of thought initially when she was slapping him back into shape that that was going to turn yes, him on. I really thought the sadomasochistic thing. I mean, we know he's into that. Yeah. So I kind of thought that, and we know that like power discrepancies turn him on. So I thought, but you know what? I think he really has to be the one who has the upper hand to feel any arousal. Yeah. Um, and, but we could have probably guessed. At the point when she says the only person you ever loved yourself, well, earlier in the episode, there was an appearance, of course, by uh, Cyrus's boy George lookalike. Yeah, I'm sorry. I couldn't help but clapping. I'm so excited. Um, he has a better haircut now and he doesn't have the bad um, like eye makeup. He still has a slight prosthetic nose that's mm-hmm. not terribly noticeable. And he wears like a lighter color palette than Cyrus and things Cyrus would never wear, like super slim cut white pants. And they sprung for the effects of having them both in the same shot. Yeah, and it looks amazing because yeah. the actor who plays Cyrus and Cyrus's body double is just so fun. I'm like, I'm really a big fan of his. As an actor, I look up to him. I'm not being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Like, he does, in the great British tradition of character actors, he does fantastic work with what he's given. Anyway, he, in the first scene, we see him in the body double. It's morosely telling the body double that pretty soon there's going to be no work for him. But then there's another scene that comes where Cyrus is wearing this amazing, like, red robe with peacock patterns on it. And then his body double shows up in, like, a matching turquoise robe with a Mm -hmm. different pattern on it. And it becomes very clear that he got his sexual mojo back. By, by sleeping ex- with his body double! Yes. I'm so excited! He, the same scene where uh, it's revealed that he is sleeping with his body double, and um, he looks down at his crotch and says, Nice to have you back, old friend. At one point. <laughs> begins with feeling. him looking, seeing Helena on TV saying, Cyrus knows his time is over, or something like that. And he says, well, he says with a very long F, I think, forget about it. Though I always thought he was, Bo, I, I really thought he was going to say, fuck you. <laughs> he's um, thinking it. But he's really, like, throwing off the villainous one-liners. I think he ends the scene by saying, I'm back, bitch. That's what it is. But he does give some sort of threat or warning in that scene, too. It's another moment, though. He's looking straight into the camera, and he says, I'm back, bitch. We That was one of those moments where I was like, it's like they listened to right. the show. Because this is all we've been begging for episode after episode. I literally got up and cheered and put my arms over my right. head when it happened. So, essentially, the long and short of Cyrus' storyline is we now have season one's Pure villain gay Cyrus back. I feel, I'm like, 
Sally Field accepting an Oscar right now. That's right. the look of joy that I have on my face. Which makes I've the last... I've all along, he needs to be bisexual the again. The arc from last episode with What's-Her-Face being like, he'll find someone to love even the more incomprehensible. <laughs> but I guess that someone was himself. Yeah. It's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. Uh, and I wouldn't mind seeing his ex-wife come back as a co-schemer every yeah. once in a while, too. She would be a fun accomplice for him who, like, she already knows all his tricks, so she's not taken in by him the way that the others are. Mm-hmm. And I do want to briefly say, especially because we always try to appreciate the work of the many artisans who work behind the scenes on the royals, her costume is perfect for the sure. mother of Penelope and Maribel. She's wearing this bright green sequin gown with bell sleeves, um, and a white fur stole and this like crazy costume jewelry necklace and very high heels. Um, but she's very pretty. She's like a very, um, lovely lady, probably a little bit older than, um, Elizabeth Hurley, but ages don't really matter. She's a very, no. well, I'll say she's an, the rare age appropriate love interest for Cyrus. Yes. I would Not say Not the so worst too. person to have around in that respect, you know? Right. Like, I'll take mm-hmm. it. I'll, I'll fucking take it. Um, I suspect Cyrus himself will continue to have sex with Hopefully young men, and hopefully maybe just himself. But, um, uh, yeah, she would be a great co-schemer, I think. Yeah, and it would be fun to see and her. And she might have an in with Helena that he her, could exploit. Or she, and we could see her and Helena go head to head. She could, she's almost kind of like a replacement duchy, although no one can replace duchy sure. in our hearts and in our minds and memories. We need kind of, a, since Helena is nice now, it'd be nice to have, you know, that third kind of heat, that older female schemer sure. who has, you know, ambitions involving her children and sort of sexual wiles and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we haven't even really gotten to the character who's at the center of this episode. Right. Kind of the only person... Cyrus is kind of the only character not super involved in this part of the story. Yeah, so He's very much sidelined. We got him out of the way. Although, again, everything about his scenes was... Great. Amazing. Like, keep going in this direction, Mark Schwann, if you are listening. <laughs> he's not. But Robert is back, and we get to see his interactions with Eleanor and Liam... And a lot of the tension in this episode springs from kind of something that's been obliquely discussed since season one, which is, are Eleanor and Liam the closest with each other? Is it Eleanor and Robert who have the closest relationship? Or is it Liam and Robert? Spoiler alert, it's definitely not Liam and Robert. I don't know which of her brothers Eleanor would side with, and that seems to be kind of a point of contention here. Liam and Robert definitely get along, but their conversations have a lot of kind of passive-aggressive tension bubbling under the surface, which is kind of surprising because, like, I just couldn't help but think it's not totally the same since he's not a same-gender sibling, but if my brother were presumed dead for almost a year and then he came back, it would be a long time before our old resentments came bubbling up, you know? Like, I would be so overjoyed to see him and to have him be alive and well. And to be precise that time, um for you for those of you trying to figure out the trying to figure out the timeline of the Royals, uh was exactly ten months, three weeks, and four days. So Prudence got pregnant pretty darn quick and that baby has not been gone long either. No, I would say Prudence had to have gotten pregnant well before Simon died. Yes. Right. Um which I think tracks, but yes, we're constantly trying to figure out how long uh, this show's been going on. <laughs> Ten months, three weeks, 
four days. The last few episodes, by the way, happened in the span of about four days, which is interesting because the main wedge between Robert and Liam is this relationship to Catherine, a relationship that is literally days old. But Liam is acting like she is the love of his life whom Robert has stolen away, even though he hasn't explained to Robert what's been going on. Mm -hmm. So Robert didn't even necessarily have the chance to have input on the situation in every scene, Liam is brooding and sulking. There's this very distracting feature where in almost every scene he's in, he's texting her and their text messages will pop up on the screen. Uh-huh. And the other characters are even like, oh, Liam, your brother's back from the dead, but you're always texting. But they act like it's not a big deal, but that should be a, a that should be a huge big deal. deal. Yeah. yeah, They're just like, you'll never change, you scam. Liam gets away with fucking everything. Liam is such a fuckboy. Robert's lovingly talking about like, didn't you used to blow off their text for a few days so they would sure. be desperate and freaking out? Wasn't that a part of your playbook? And Liam's like, haha, you know me, disrespecting women. Or in one scene um, where they are both sitting in the side chairs to the main throne and Robert is trying to connect with them over their father's death. Please let me tell it. Mm-hmm. This was what I was talking about with the undercurrent of passive-aggressive tension in their conversations. They're sitting on their mini thrones on either side of the main throne. It's a really cool image. This is another great use of location because that throne room is great. Why don't I can play Liam in the scene if you like? Okay. You can play Robert. Okay, so this, imagine I'm Robert. I'm like the British JFK, and I'm very handsome. Oh, hello to my back alley neighbors. You hear mm-hmm. that blast, blast honking? All right, so I'm Robert. I remember father's last words to me. What were they? That's between me and him. <laughs> <laughs> that is we barely we could even drop yeah Darren, that's if you like, word for word drop it in even drop in the real clip here if you want to compare because my robert, voice cracked that was unintentional robert pointedly brings up the last thing his father ever said to him and then naturally as one would Liam inquires what that was, and he's like, he shuts that the fuck down. It's like, why bring it up? It's specifically like he set him up to be like, none of your goddamn business. I'll never forget the last thing that dad said to me. Oh, yeah? What was that? That's between me and him. I've already decided that I like Robert a lot better than Liam because he's a lot less stupid and less naive, and he seems to have at least a vague understanding of how the world works. So this had to go down as one of my top three bits of unintentionally comedic dialogue. Because honestly, I don't think it was meant to be a joke. I think it was meant to be like, Robert has this deep personal connection with Simon, and he and Liam just aren't close enough to share these private things. Uh Oh, how heartbreaking, you know, these two brothers on either side of the throne. But it comes up as, like, a very bizarre gotcha moment. Like a way to be passive-aggressive with them, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It comes off like the way there would be an exchange between any of the people from Parks and Rec and Jerry. Yeah. Like, Ron would be like, I remember my father's last words to me. And Jerry would go, what are they? And Ron would go, no, that's between me and him. You know, like, it would be, it, it feels yeah. like that. Um, But uh they have a few other scenes. There's one where, so Robert apparently has stashes of whiskey hanging around in, like, tree holes around the grounds. He's like the Boo Radley of alcohol. Yes, he is the Whiskey Boo Radley, which is also the name of my indie band. <laughs> um, but, so they go out to some random place on the grounds, 
and Robert reaches into this tree and he pulls out uh, an old plug of whiskey and he's like, still here, <laughs> like a low, like a high end alcoholic. I'm sure he has some in like toilet bowls or like. Well, that's what I was going to say on a funnier show. I would love if every episode, maybe sometimes subtly in the background, the way Community did Abed delivering a baby, oh. Robert would just have these stashes of alcohol in the most improbable places. Oh my God. You know what would be great if in the next episode, Eleanor comes in and pulls out her letter and then he grabs the book next to it and pulls out a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> that, that would be, be so great. Why don't we write for this show? <laughs> I think it meant like a pregnant Prudence comes in. He delivers a bottle of whiskey. Oh, that would also her. be nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's too late for that. She already had her baby. But, oh. you know, I don't think this being a soap opera of a show, I don't think it'll be too long before someone else is pregnant. Sure. I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll happen sooner or later. But, I mean, um, we already have Sarah Alice. The show is obviously feeling the need for adorable children. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, Robert has a sip of his whiskey and pours a little out for his father, which kind of befuddles Liam. <laughs> yeah, he kind of rolls his eyes at it. And Robert says very sensibly... Like, I know this is an old hat for you, but I just lost my father. It feels sure. like he just died. Don't you love my Robert voice? It's so classy. You know what? I think Robert does speak in a classier way than the majority of the people on the show. He, like, has an, a touch of class in the way he speaks, I feel like. Well, Alexandra Park, who's Australian, is a great actress, and we love her, but she's doing a much lower class English accent than that character would ever have in real life. Right. There's a lot of this sort of tension between Robert and Liam. You sort of feel like maybe back in the day, Liam was more open with Robert about his romantic conquest because Robert keeps asking, like, who is this girl? And Liam won't tell him, which should really tip him off that something is going on. Right. And um, it's worth noting that by this point, Liam has watched some YouTube supercut of literally everything. Robert has watched. Robert has watched uh, a YouTube supercut of literally everything that has happened in the past 10 months. Which concluded with a, I think underneath the video, about a billion comments that just said hashtag King Liam. So he's kind of aware of this... Populist, pro-Liam movement, let's say. I want to say I thought this montage was actually incredibly well done. It amused me that one of the things included was the clip of Eleanor in her rainbow dress kissing her girlfriend. Like, the royal lesbian scandal. I guess that would have been very big news, though. But yeah, it's um, a cut together of everything including it really ends with there's a Helena speech about the death of Simon there's a, there's a shot of Simon saying uh, I propose to abolish the monarchy there's Simon talking about the referendum there's Liam's Domino YouTube video and Liam in the first season in interviews right after his body's Justin Bieber hair. And there's Cyrus's announcement that he's the one in control now. And saying that things are about to get much, much worse. And they cut together everything seamlessly, so it ends with Long Live the King coming from all the different speeches cut together. God save the king. And I thought this was all very elegantly done. The news clips looked real. The YouTube pages looked like they weren't like dumb, fake websites. It all, I thought this part looked really good and effective. I think his family not telling him all of this and letting him watch it as a montage of videos, including his father's actual on-screen murder is unbelievably callous, but right. that's the Henstridge's well, for you. Well, the on-screen murder was actually the disc he got from James Hill, and it kind of seamlessly cut to the YouTube video. But I think the news clips were actually like the reason they look so nice even though they were only a second long is because they were from earlier episodes i noticed one of them was from 
Ron Johnson, um, who I remember us making fun of Ron Johnson's name in an earlier episode of this podcast. Was that the horse? <laughs> no, that was a The news... horse had a name too, remember? No. It was like Charlie something. Oh, yes. The horse was named Charlie something. But Ron Johnson was a newscaster from, I think, season one of the show who they occasionally had on. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And there was definitely a clip of Ron Johnson mixed in there. That's funny. Well, continuity. And I mean, the journalist in this episode, uh, Crenshaw, who threat, who gets wind of Robert's return from his source in MI6. If I were Helena, the queen, I would be like, all right, well, I need to find the mole in MI6 and have them fired and then tried for treason. Right. Yeah. Crenshaw was the journalist last season who we saw at like the horse ascot episode right. walking with Helena around the paddock when she was trying to put some spin on the twins paternity thing. He's an established journalist. He's like the head of a print media empire. The name definitely rang a bell. I'm not sure if it's the same it actor is. or not. It, it is. definitely okay. is because I recognize him because I'm just going to say it. He's one of the few actors of color on the show. Okay. I, he seems like he is Middle Eastern perhaps of some yeah. Arabic descent, maybe. So I don't really, I don't really know. Um, but I, he is noticeably one of the few actors of color. It's impossible not to notice that because the show is so overwhelmingly white, especially since Marcus left. Why couldn't James Hill have been played by a person of color? I don't know. Uh, I do like the actor for James Hill. Nothing against him, but no, yeah, you're right. I love him. I've never had anything but positive things to say about him. And I'm not saying that the actors of color should be relegated to playing, you know, members of staff. Um, but it's just something that the show is not good at. Um, well, regardless, uh, I guess, Crenshaw basically serves, speaking of Marcus, he basically serves to show that in some degree, Robert is the new Marcus and that he's somewhat capable. Uh, in this scene, they give us very clear visual markers that Robert is perhaps more of Helena's child than the twins. Because they show him and Helena mirroring each other's actions. They pick up cups of tea and sip them at exactly the same time. They're seated on the other side of Crenshaw, kind of framing him as Robert very calmly reveals himself to Crenshaw and says, Look, you only have to wait 14 hours. I'll give you this interview ahead of time. So as soon as the press conference starts, you can have your article already written, be the first one to send it, and you'll have exclusive quotes from me. Or if you release it right now, you'll be the only one with no exclusive quotes or no, no quotes, evidence, no official reveal. quotes, yeah. no evidence. And you're going to be lost in 14 hours when, when these I, other stories come out. Yeah. And when I purposely ignore your newspaper when I'm giving interviews. Yeah. So he, I mean, it's a very elegant solution. Crenshaw doesn't exactly get a raw deal. He gets a pretty good bargain out of right. it. So it's just like. Robert gets shit done. He kind of knows how to play the game is what I'm getting from right. everything we've seen of his character. Although it is funny. He does the press conference. It's the culmination of the episode, so we'll get into it more a little bit later. But he does the press conference and is like very charmingly making jokes about how he knew he'd be back with all of them. Neglecting to mention that the thought of doing a press conference was apparently literally the only thing keeping him from coming home and being rescued. Right. I think... And the episode where that happened, the idea of the scrutiny of being a royal was a big theme. And, uh, yeah, he seems to have been dreading it for a long time. We might see that play out. But before the press conference, there's someone who needs to be informed of his return in person. 
he and Liam decide to go for a nighttime walk, just like they used to do, apparently, independently with their well, father. Because yeah. Simon loved his nighttime walks. Well, there was a callback after after Robert uh, denied Liam the right to know what the last thing his father said yeah, to him. so Liam cruel. was like, okay, well, the last thing he said to me was, let's go for a walk tonight. And I didn't go because I was with a woman. <laughs> and then Robert says, who was it? Anyone important? And Liam says, no, not really. Although he doesn't really explain. Except it was Ophelia. And Robert would have known Ophelia because they grew up in the same building. Ophelia lived in the palace growing up from childhood. Right. And I get the impression that in the scene where they're drinking whiskey, he invites him to go on a walk that night, intentionally mirroring Simon's invitation to do the same. Yeah. So Robert walks him on over to the pub where Catherine lives. But before they go in... They're having one of these sibling tiffs that I've always felt would happen if instead of it were just my brother and I, we had three siblings, which is Liam is whining about how Robert always used to side with Eleanor during their fights. And Robert was like, I don't know. She was my little sister. She needed someone to stick up for her. And Liam's like, but I was your brother. And it's, I feel like this is what the rest of the season is going to hinge on. And I, I don't mind it. I think it's going to be interesting. I think there's no way that the conflict isn't primarily between, at least between the siblings, between Liam and Robert. And I think that was inevitable from the jump. And I love it. I think it's finally the show is going in a direction that makes sense and is knocking down dominoes, if you will, that have already been set up. So, you know, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm glad of it, but it's, it's like a kind of a fun, little bit of dialogue liam's being like a more petulant childlike version of himself than he already is why he why robert decides to bring liam to reveal along to reveal to Catherine that he's still alive i do not understand no yeah because you would be thinking like that he would be imagining best case scenario she is falling into his arms you know right it's not really a like let's bring a younger sibling along situation Um, But yeah, he surprises her. She's incredibly shocked. Liam kind of at first pathetically tries to act like they shouldn't do it because she could could die of shock. And Robert says, well, it's not really a conversation you have over a phone call. Mm -hmm. But uh, the second she sees him, her first response is, Jesus. To which he responds, No, not quite. I didn't technically die and come back from the dead. I just didn't die like they thought I did. In every other way, the show has taught us that you are the second Literally, coming of Christ. Christ come again. But um, obviously, it's sort of an awkward moment for the three of them, for reasons not apparent entirely to Robert. Liam has tears shining in his eyes. Sure. Um, again, this is a relationship that, based on the chronology of the first few episodes of this season, is maybe three days old, and they're treating it like soulmates. Catherine even says later, like, this all moved really fast. Way too fast, as a matter of fact. Yeah, way, way, way too fast. So, um, but it's awkward between Robert and Catherine, too. She's obviously somewhat glad to see that he's not dead. I mean, she's not completely soulless, although she and Liam, I think, are both kind of cold to him in this episode in some ways. Sure. Um, He tries to give her a kiss, and she, like, cheeks him out, and he's like, oh, it's not every day a zombie leans in for a kiss. It's like, oh, Robert, you're so funny. Sure. <laughs> ah. 
He's, like, full of dad jokes, mostly dad jokes about beer. He does some beer jokes at the press conference that everyone loves. Yeah, he gave beer in the flashback in the last episode. I think it was mostly beer jokes, too. That's his speciality, I guess. It's a running thing now. Hey, he knows how to connect with the common people, and the common people love beer. Yeah, they feel like they could have a beer with him. (laughs) Flashback to the 2000 election, 2004, maybe? Does that make Liam Jeb? Uh, Please clap. <laughs> maybe I guess it does. Yes. Uh, and Simon is Poppy. Oh yeah, Simon's H W in that metaphor. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh my God, Helen is Helen is Barbara, but we already have a Barbara Bush on the show. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, anyways, American royalty. I guess should we talk about Eleanor or should we? Well, just Liam and Liam and Catherine do have a scene together. Oh, you're right. Robert and Liam go back to the palace, um, and then Liam immediately turns around and goes back out the door and goes back to Catherine's apartment, and they basically say, like, we moved really fast, Robert's back, which is important, so we have to break up, and they act like they are a beloved husband and wife being torn asunder on the deck of the Titanic. They are Romeo and Juliet, but even more in love, if such a thing were possible. It's a true gift of the Magi situation in that he got his brother back but he had to sacrifice his three day old relationship. Which he calls later everything because he says he had to sacrifice he would sacrifice everything to have Robert back. They hug, they make out for a while this character never wears a bra so that's par for the course. Indie music from a top 40 station bedded underneath Yeah Uh, there's not much else to say about that. No. Then it is practically press conference time, but before the press conference, we had a scene that I really like. Oh, wait, I whiffed into the Eleanor and Jasper stuff. Never mind. Um, so, for the most part, uh, this is going to take any time at all, so first I'm going to say, briefly, he has a couple scenes with, uh, Helena. It seems like they're relatively close. He knows about Aleister Crowley. Which it's the other kids don't. Alistair Crowley. I keep on saying Crowley because I'm thinking last week I said Mr. that, and I'm Crowley. thinking of, of course, yes, uh, the Alistair Satanist guy, L- Alistair Lacey. Alistair Lacey. He knows about Alistair Lacey, and apparently did before he left, implying that he is probably closer to Helena than the yeah. other two, even though she didn't that's give because, a shit about him in season one. That's because Robert gets it. Yeah. Robert is not naive, and he seems to also understand that Alistair was in some ways the love of his mother's life. Like, uh-huh. he doesn't seem to be happy with the fact that she admits to him that uh, she and Simon ended things on bad terms in their marriage, which is absolutely true. Um, but he seems to have a more, like, level-headed view of the situation. Sure. Uh, anyway, Eleanor and Jasper are freaking out about Robert approving of Jasper. They don't even know what accent he should use, although eventually they settle mm-hmm. on his genuine American yeah. accent. Actually, this ent- this storyline is introduced in a really kind of endearing scene where Eleanor is setting up an interview and she specifically says she doesn't want it to be like an expose about her nightlife or... She says it has to have a focus. Right. And all that. A, an outlook that goes well with her thoroughly rem, uh, remodeled room. I yeah, think. it's so elegant. And she's sitting there wearing a, bla- a black blazer. And I said to <laughs> Zach about, like, she's all grown up. Robert walks in and she stands up. And with her black blazer, she is, of course, wearing denim cutoffs. Right. Well, one step at a time, I guess. <laughs> but um, I'm really happy to see the way, the direction the Eleanor arc is turning. Obviously, her father's yeah. 
words are still looming pretty large, but it's nice to see that, you know, she's healthier, she is finally kind of taking command of her image in the public, she's not abusing drugs and anymore. the way that people talk about her, and this is reflected in... Yeah, in a way that she is a... Instead of you can become something great... You can become she, a person. Right. Instead, <laughs> and this is... Uh, reflected directly in a scene where they are in, uh, I guess, sort of the church on the grounds, and she's talking to Robert one-on-one, and she talks about the last conversation she had with her father. He does not taunt her as he does Liam. No, he's so kind, and it's like, you can... I understand why Robert was more nicer to Eleanor than Liam growing up. It's because... Everyone was always punching down on Eleanor, especially their mother, in a way they weren't on Liam. And she mm-hmm. probably was the little sister who needed the older brother to defend her. Yeah. Whereas Liam has had people falling. I mean, probably from the time he was 13, he had girls bending over backwards probably to so. be there for him. Probably so. Emotional support girls are nothing new. And teenage boys are not like that. Yeah. But they are having they have a really nice conversation where she talks about how... Her last conversation with her dad was how he was sort of disappointed in how she was handling her life. And he says, well, you've become something, whatever you were then, you've become something great now. It's a really nice scene. He repeatedly says in a couple different scenes, including the one where he walks in on her in her office, that he's really proud of her. Yeah. And he's just like, very kind, but not condescending. And it's like, all right, okay, perhaps another moral but competent character. And the big, the kind of the last shot of that scene is that they're having the conversation not over Simon's monument, but over Robert's? Yes, it's actually a really cool moment that I liked. We need to go back and look at his gravestone to see if there's a Hamlet quote like there was on Simon. Yeah, I didn't notice one. I will, I'll run back the tape when we get a, when we get our chance, but they're talking over a grave that we assume was some sort of grave for Simon mm-hmm. or perhaps some one of their ancestral kings. Um, and then it turns out to have been Robert's grave that he's looking down at. And also Robert and Eleanor are wearing matching outfits. Her dress is the color of his undershirt, so they're wearing, like, exactly matching colors that kind of ties them together in the scene more so than Liam, who's wearing um, a completely different color palette with, like, maroon sure. and black. But uh, aside from that establishing... Let's their... wait for the siren. But the main thrust of the Eleanor storyline here is that... Uh... When Robert, it starts when Robert comes into a room, uh, during an afternoon, I guess the same day, and Jasper hurriedly runs in behind him, not knowing he's there, and stops in his tracks when he sees Robert, and is suddenly very awkward, both Eleanor and Jasper are very awkward, and Eleanor plays it off like, oh, this is Liam's personal security. She calls behind her, looking for Liam, and he's like, guess he's not here. Like, heavily indicating that he should just go. Um, Yeah, and it's a very obvious lie. If I were Robert, I'd be like, what are you up to? Right. Uh, But, yeah, uh, Jasper is very put out that Eleanor didn't immediately introduce him. And it's like, well, Robert just got back and just found out that our father died. So maybe our burgeoning relationship isn't the most important thing. Can you even imagine that? Right. And she asks for advice from Liam for this. And he tells her to do what he is decidedly not doing. Which is be honest. Yeah, come on, Liam. And also remind her, uh, casually and in a naturalistic way, that Jasper solved their father's murder. Yeah, and Eleanor jams this into the conversation. An when incredibly awkward. She's way. introducing, she does decide to introduce Jasper to Robert. They decide on his authentic American accent, although they fudge the details of his backstory, acting like they right. purposely sought out like an American who's 
super good at bodyguarding and she's like he's the one who caught dad's murderer and the one who, the man who attempted to murder you because this episode reminds us of that really weird season one plot detail that ted like hijacked military plane systems to get to this soldier to try to kill robert right and the thing about jasper choosing an accent has a slight payoff that doesn't totally land in that they are surprised in the middle of their conversation by robert and Jasper's response is to, in a very exaggerated way, go, Hello, governor! Yeah, it's it's not great. But there is a joke I like later in that scene where Eleanor goes, Liam really loves him. And yeah. mom loves him. And if they overplayed this moment, it would not be funny. It would be gross. But after Eleanor says mom loves him, Jasper just barely turns his head and looks at her. Yeah. And then they cut away. And it's very Some... subtly done. If you didn't already know about their... There have been Oral a f- sex dalliance. Sure. There have been a few good subtle subtle jokes this this year. And again, even though that governor joke doesn't land, it's not miserable. And I am still happy about Goofy Jasper. Yeah. It's way better than Sulky Jasper, especially because Liam is like such an emo kid in this episode, literally wearing a hoodie with a black leather right. jacket over it. Like he's about to go to the Warped Tour or something. I'm surprised he's not wearing checked vans. Right. Um, And I think that actually... More or less, it's, Robert's a little cold on Jasper at the time being. He says he's glad that Eleanor's happy. Yeah, he's, Jasper interprets this as a huge slight when Robert says, I have very high standards for my only sister. And but you're off to a good start. I think that's not a, I think that's not a bad thing. I think you should want your partner's family to be, I mean, not overprotective of them, but he doesn't try to shut down their relationship. No, he he's just saying like, Okay, great. You're dating someone I really care about. If I think that's really nice. I I have to I mean, I'm just putting it out there, guys. Hashtag King Robert. Sure. Uh I could be the willow mm. to his Liam. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. That's not a great comparison. Uh yeah, but then <clears throat> there's the press conference. Mm-hmm. Uh everyone gets a chance to speak. Robert, of course, gives a speech that everyone he comes loves, out dramatic. Jokes. They reveal the twins' paternity first, and then after but that, no one is surprised by no it. No one is surprised. Um, and then after that, Robert comes out very dramatically, which the res- press responds to very calmly. Yeah, they stand up and clap like it's a you know less enthusiasm than a celebrity cameo at a concert or yeah. something. If Kanye had showed up, they would have lost their minds more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this would be the royal news story, you know, of the decade. Or the century, maybe. Although this is a news cycle that's seen the king get murdered in a parking lot. That's true. But Castaway King, I mean, that's a pretty... Yeah. That's he a comes back from a desert island and then immediately ascends the throne. Yeah. I think that's unprecedented in history. You get assassinations every once in a while, but... Yeah, that's true. Anyway, um... There is not a lot to talk about with Helena and Robert's statements. No. I wanted to talk about briefly Eleanor's. She has a flashback during her speech to just like in last episode when Jasper wrote a letter while she was sleeping. She writes a letter while Jasper mm-hmm. is sleeping. And she's like, I'm just so happy. I feel like everything is falling into place, which, yeah, if I were her, I'd be like, everything is coming up roses. Aside from the semi-recent murder of your father, it's been less than a year, you know, I think it might take me a little more than a year to get over the murder of my dad. But what can I say? We're close. Um, 
I feel like you'd at least have a few days where you were pretty happy after your brother came back. No, allegedly yeah, from yeah, the yeah, dead. yeah. No, yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't be happy. I'm saying it wouldn't be like everything is perfect. It'd be like everything is going much better than it was. Sure. Uh, but then Liam is on camera with tears shining in his eyes and he's talking directly into the camera and it cuts to Catherine at home with this like baby deer look on her face because mm-hmm. she knows he's talking just to her and he says directly into the camera, I would have given up everything to have Robert come back and we know he means I did give up everything to have Robert come back and he's just saying a bunch of stuff that's like coded Whatever. double meaning yeah, and it's yeah. so like... <sighs> And then, uh, in a shot that I don't understand the significance of, uh, the last shot of the episode is Robert, and then it pans over to Liam, and he's like, Menacing in his in the shadow? shadow? I don't what understand that what mean? that means, but like, it's just shot of Liam in his shadow. I think the lighting was just bad, really. It's so subtle. It's very, yeah. I love that moment. I have to say, yeah. I love, you know, the court intrigue. I want there should be more of that and less of this mediocre fucking around. I think that's what we're getting. I'm, we're farther away than we've ever been from dumbass conspiracy theories, from Cyrus, like, moping around about Violet. I think it's going in a good way. We got, in a couple episodes, one is called um, More Than Kin and Less Than Kind. That implies some... A prediction I made that that was going to be an episode title soon. But, um, yeah, it seems like things are going in a potentially interesting direction yeah we don't want to jinx it but i'm really glad this was our first uh episode to record together in person which is something that might happen again in the future who Mm -hmm. knows uh but it was definitely a really fun one to talk about and is giving me the optimistic feeling that i had during the season three premiere for sure not to spoil too much, but I have a reason to believe the next episode is a Christmas episode, so hopefully that will be uh, as enjoyable as it could potentially be. Have we ever had a Royals Christmas episode before? Well, the show, the timeline of the show has only been 10 months, 3 weeks, oh, and 4 days. Oh, you're right. So, no, we have we not. We never have. Wait, what year are we in then? I don't know. There are things in the first two seasons that seem like they're annual events that happen twice, so also that doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, they've had the annual garden party twice. I think the twins might have had two birthdays, too. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, they're time walkers. Well, um, can't forget an important part of the show during an important episode. What was your favorite moment or image from this week's episode? I think I'm, I think I'll just go ahead and go with the scene, the reveal that Simon or Cyrus got his groove back. By sleeping with his body double and him just being on the couch in his peacock robe, just sipping champagne, like... Talking into the camera. Talking into the camera with villainous one-liners. Yes! And he actually has a pretty good line before he gets his groove back, where he tells somebody to vanish, which I kind of enjoyed, too. I think he says that to his body double. He does say that to his body double. You're right, yeah. I think uh, Cyrus should go, like, full Richard III, like how Frank Underwood on House of Cards will just start monologuing to the camera about all my plans and my soliloquies. I think Cyrus should start doing that. Maybe. Just break the fourth wall. I don't give a shit. No. I don't care. Maybe they could have a trick one where it turns out it's his boy George Bobby body, body double doing it. Well, I would know from the prosthetic of nose. Of course. That's how you can and really tell. And the accent. It's a good fake nose. Mm-hmm. You know what my favorite moment is. Will you do it one more time with me? Will you be the Liam to my Robert? Sure. I still remember Father's last words to me. What were they? Uh, that's between me and him. 
<laughs> Favorite moment. I don't know if it was meant to be funny. It was absolutely hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, it was great. Hashtag King Robert. Let's do this. Team Robert in yep. 2017. Hashtag between me and him. What? Hashtag between me and him. Between. Oh, yeah. That's uh, fair. Yeah. If the other candidate is Liam, I'm definitely voting for Robert. Right. All right. Well, uh, wait, one quick bit of housekeeping before we go. I wanted to say, uh, I want to apologize for our more sporadic release schedule than we had planned. That's really on me specifically because I've had some technical difficulties on my end. I've got a new computer and a new setup here, but we're aware of it. We're still working out the kinks of releasing episodes as the show airs, and we're hoping to get more consistent as we go forward. And thanks to this nice, uh, Christmas break that the Royals gave us. Uh, we should be back on schedule going forward after this episode. I hope so. And of course, as always, thank you to our producer, Darren, who's always so patient with me, no matter how I'm fucking up. And every week he's got some new obstacle to overcome, and he always does it with great aplomb. And I think this year the show sounds better than ever, and it's all thanks yeah, to him. Especially with the drop-ins of the audio. That's yeah. really a nice touch. So uh, be sure to check out Darren's other podcast, I've Made a Huge Mistake, which is an mm-hmm. Arrested Development podcast. And it's over now, but I made many appearances and also for a time hosted uh, Darren's Clueless podcast, As If. Which, Zach, did you ever make an appearance on As If? No, but I was on <laughs> The Cast Next Door, and we were both on... A talking cast. Yeah, there are lots of great Darren Husted podcast products to seek out there in the Darren Husted galaxy oh. of stars. Oh, you were on Cast Next Door also, that's right. Yeah. I was, I was, and on a talking cast. Yeah. I'm a rising podcast star, mm-hmm. what can I say? Oh, uh, and I guess while we're talking about podcasts, I have another one. It's called <laughs> The Revisionists. It's a comedy history podcast I do with past guest Brian Flynn. Yeah, it's kind of goofier and off the wall and less structured than this, so... It's short, too, so if you want to give one an episode, a shot, go for it. But it's also far more beloved than this show. I would say The Revisionist is the robber to Stage of Fools, Liam. I think that may just be that it's too, it's playing to a less niche crowd. <laughs> well, uh, check us out. We're Stage of Fools on Facebook and at Stage of Fools Pod on Twitter. Till next time, thanks for listening. Right Bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter, at Stage of Fools Pod, or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.